morning, Bethel. As you can see, we had a wonderful week of camp. I would say we probably had the best week of camp that we've ever had as a church. It was a, just a, a wonderful week from the spiritual decisions that were made. We had three kids accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. We had a fourth that made the decision that they weren't quite sure when they were little if they knew what they were doing and they wanted to get it straight. So we actually had four this past week, which was awesome. We, we left out on Monday morning with uh, 15 of us and we uh, had just a, a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, the, the weather was great. We only got rained out really one day. Uh, but you, as you guys saw, all the activities that they had for the, the kids at the camp. The camp was on the shores of Lake Yale. If you don't know where that is, that's kind of in between Fruitland Park, Mount Dora, Umatilla, up there in Lake County, all of the, those little cities. So we had just a, a wonderful time up there. The kids got to play disc golf, canoe, um, jump in the lake, just all the stuff that you know a lot of these city kids don't get to do. Um, so it was, it was fun for them. So we, uh, uh, if you had a student at camp, they probably came home Friday afternoon and you had to wake them up this morning for church. Um, and uh, that was the, my case as well. So whenever they're going, these kids aren't used to going 18 hours a day, you know, just blowing and going hard for all this time and then, you know, not getting much sleep and, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's a lot of activity for them. So I, we had such a, such a wonderful week. I prayed for no injuries this week. We had no injuries except for your pastor. You know, God humbled him and reminded him that his body's not as young as what it used to be and I can't keep up with those kids. So, uh, uh I'm just, I, I'm always thankful I come home from a week of camp and I did not have to contact a parent and say, I'm here at the hospital with your child. That's always, that's always a blessing. So uh, thank you so much for those prayers this week. It was uh, such, a, such a wonderful week. Um, if you'll bear with me with my voice, my voice is still recuperating from a week at camp. As you can hear, it's a little raspy this morning, but that's, uh, we're all good. So I just want to recap a little bit of camp this week. Of uh, you know, we had a theme throughout the week in our evening services called faith steps, taking those faith steps. And you now I we wanted to kind of share one of the messages that really spoke to our students on Tuesday evening. The speaker was Brian Mills, a pastor out in Oklahoma. And let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into the text this morning. The nation of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses had been leading them out in the wilderness. Moses has passed on. And Joshua is now the leader of the nation of Israel. And they're headed to the promised land. They're headed to Israel. But they've got to cross the Jordan River before they can get there. And so they're going into this promised land. They've got two million people approximately that they have trudged through the wilderness. Now, if this is not just like trudging through Florida where you've got all kinds of water. This is like desert land that they've been in for 40 years. And Joshua chapter 3, which is where we'll be this morning, tells the story of the crossing of the Jordan River. And we can begin by asking an important question. Why does this river mean so much? The answer is that the Jordan River, it serves as a boundary marker. It's, this was prior to John the Baptist doing the baptizing in the Jordan River. This was prior to Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan River. The people of God had to cross the river to enter the promised land. And that's the very first thing 
that God said to Joshua as he took over as leader of the nation of Israel. He said in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, the people of Israel. Joshua chapter 3, it really emphasizes this great truth. We must take faith steps in order to receive God's blessings. We must take faith steps in order to receive God's blessing. It's not just getting across the river that matters. It must be done in a way that God receives the glory. God will bless anyone who takes a faith step to get closer to him. And that blessing will be withheld from those who think they have a better idea or better way of crossing the Jordan River. No, God says it must be done in my way. And Joshua records the miracle of this crossing really in six steps. So we'll kind of walk through those this morning and look at how we can take faith steps. First, Joshua put the ark in front of the people. Let's read here in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim, and they came to Jordan. And he and all the people of Israel and lodged, lodged there before they passed over. And the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Now if you continue reading in Joshua chapter 3, Joshua mentions the Ark of the Covenant nine times. That means the Ark is more important than anything else in this story. It was the chest with a gold top called the mercy seat. This Ark of the Covenant, some of you guys know about the Ark of the Covenant from the Indiana Jones movie. That's how you're familiar with the, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the Ark contained also the Ten Commandments. Aaron's rod that budded and, the, and a pot of manna it represented the gracious presence of God among its people. It was not something that should be touched because of God's presence being around the Ark. This emphasizes this ark represents the holiness of God, which is why a sinful man could not touch the ark because it represented his holiness. If Israel truly wanted God's guidance, the, Lord, the people must learn to treat the Lord with the respect that he deserves. Note the reason that it's given in the text at the end of the passage we read. It said, since you have not passed this way before, you don't know which way you're going. None of you have been here before. You must follow God. And let's make that clear in our main point. Our faith steps only come from God. Our faith steps, they only come from God. We don't know which way we should go in our walk and our journey apart from God, apart from following him. We make our plans, but God determines our step. Everyone hearing this message Everyone has an idea about the future. We have our hopes, our dreams, our big ideas, but when all is said and done, only God knows which way we should go. 
That's a crucial point because like the ancient Israelites, we have not been this way before. That next faith step that God wants you to take, you have not been there before. We must follow God. It's a great advance spiritually to come to the place where you admit how little you know about the future. Admitting that you don't know as much as you think you know. And I know. And we must follow God. But that's okay because Jesus knows where we are and he knows where we need to be tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next. He's just asking us to take that next step. So we see that Joshua put the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people signifying we're going to follow God. We're going to go exactly where he wants us to go. Next thing we see is the people they consecrated themselves. Let's read the next verse. It says, And Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. To consecrate means to be set apart. In the Old Testament, it often involved an external cleansing, pre presenting yourself before the Lord. The, Jew the Jews were to remove all dirty garments and replace them with clean ones. Why does this matter? Does God really care what the people wear? An outward consecration pictures the need for inward cleansing. That was so symbolic to the Old Testament Jews. God is telling the Jews they aren't ready for a miracle yet. God has some work to do in them before he can do a work for them. It is the reason we don't see more amazing things from the Lord is because we do not come to God with a spiritual cleansing. Coming before God, cleansing our hearts and our minds of the sin that is there. Are you ready for God to do amazing things in your life? There are some things that have to take place before that can happen. The way we consecrate ourselves today is by confessing our sin before a holy God, repenting of our actions, and reallocating our lives to the Lord. That's how we consecrate ourselves today. So we see the people consecrate themselves. Number three, they crossed when the river was at the flood stage. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. So this miracle happened during the spring when the snow melt had taken place from Mount Hermon, and the mountain, the mountain water raises the level of the Jordan River. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you'll see that the Jordan River is really not that impressive. I was there in 2015, and we stood on this side of the Jordan River, and the other side of the Jordan River was really where the pipe and drapes were. You know, we stood on this side with the Israeli troops with their M16s, and on the other side we could clearly see the Jordanian troops standing on that side of the Jordan River. It was a little weird. But it was not that impressive of a river. You could easily just hop in and swim over to the other side. 
Um, but during this time, you know, it, you know, normally it's 50 to 100 feet across. But during this time, during harvest season, the river swells to about a half a mile across. And it goes from 5 to 10 feet deep to about 40 feet deep. So God is telling them <laughs> during this time of the year, I want you to cross the river. During the harvest season, the river plain has become a vast marsh. You've got this raging current in the middle of the river, and you have this water that spreads out for almost a half mile, encompassing the thickets and creating an impassable barrier. And that is the situation that, God, that Joshua finds himself in at this point when God said, I want you to cross this river. I'm, I'm sure Joshua was probably thinking in his mind, man, <laughs> how are we going to do this? Do we need to like build a bridge? No, do, I, do we have some engineers here that can help us build this bridge to get us over across this raging Jordan River? You know, there was no human strategy that would get the people to the western side of the river. There just wasn't. But they did cross, and we're going to see how. The promised land, if they did not cross, if they did not follow God's instructions, would forever be outside of their reach. Joshua had, Scripture doesn't indicate any secret plan in his back pocket. It didn't indicate that the Jews knew how to navigate this river. They weren't a seafaring people. The only, they only had God's promise. They only had the memory of what God had done at the Red Sea 40 years earlier. Some of them were too young to remember that. Some of them that had seen the Red Sea part to get them across the Red Sea away from the Egyptians were now elderly. They knew and they've shared those stories with how God worked miraculously. What does faith look like when we cannot find a way forward? What does faith look like when we cannot find a way forward? Faith means trusting God when your circumstances make no sense to you. Faith means trusting God when your circumstances make no sense to you. We come to a crisis moment, every single one of us in our lives, sooner or later. The how really is none of our business. It's none of our business. God is not obligated to explain himself to you and I. He arranges life that way on purpose. What you do when God hems you in is you keep your eyes on him. You leave the how up to God, and you take that next faith step. So we see they cross the river at the flood stage. Number four, the priests entered the water before the miracle took place. Verse 8, and as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Suppose you were one of those priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That's a high privilege and a great honor to be able to carry that Ark. You feel great about it until you hear the Lord wants you to go into the river, this raging river, this overflowing river, and you've got the pole with the Ark of the Covenant, and that river is probably coming up higher 
to your ankles, to your shins, to your knees. And you're thinking, oh, no, I can't let go of this pole. I can't let the ark of the cut. What am I going to do? Am I going to save myself? They're probably thinking, this makes no sense. Why stand in the river? Why not stand? God, why did you want us to just stand near the river? We could have stood on the banks of the river. Why go into the river? You know, some of them get to think they've been in the desert for 40 years. Some of them may have never even swam in their lives. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? But there will be no miracle until the priests enter the water carrying the Ark of the Covenant. God arranged that, arranged it that way so their faith would move them from safety to danger. It was a test. He's saying, anybody can trust me on dry ground. Anybody can trust me when they have a good job, they got a cushion in their bank account, they live in a nice home, they got food in their belly, they don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. It's easy to trust me on dry ground. But will you trust me enough to stand in the water? Will you make that move to the water? It's the same for us today. There will be no miracle until we move. Sure, we all have doubts. Who doesn't? Nothing in life is certain. We pray and pray, but we're not sure how things will turn out. If you wait for 100% certainty, then you'll wait forever. Because faith is never 100% figuring things out. So how does faith work? God responds to those who partly believe, partly doubt, but take their heart in their hands and act upon the belief part. They say, God, I'm struggling here. I'm not quite sure, but I know you're God and I know you're going to do a great work. So I'm going to take this belief part and I'm going to act on it. I'm going to take the step into the river and I'm going to watch and see what you do. Why go into the water? If God wants to work a miracle, he can do it just as well when we are standing on dry ground. That's true, of course. But God often asks us to do things that seem impossible so he can work a miracle through our lives. When Jesus worked the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, he began by telling his disciples, give them something to eat. All they had was the five loaves and the two fishes. And the disciples looked around and said, how are we going to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes? They took that belief part, even though they had doubts, and said, okay, we'll obey. And they had 12 basketfuls left over at the end. God routinely asks us to do the impossible so that when it is done, he alone gets the credit. He asks us to do the impossible so we can look back and say, man, that was God. The only way that that happened was God made it work. That's, so we can look back and say, man, that's crazy to see how God worked in that situation. Remember, they don't know what's going to happen. We, when we read the story, we know how it ends, so this may not seem like a big deal, but to all their credit, the priests did not hesitate to obey the Lord. They went in to the river. So we see the priests entered the water before the miracle took place. Number five, the water stood in a heap. 
verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. It's early one morning. Beautiful sun comes up. God tells Joshua, I want you to cross that river. Joshua tells the priest, I want you to go put your feet in the river. The Jews prepare to cross the river, not knowing how they're going to do it. You have to imagine, there's probably some murmuring, some silence that's taking place among the camp of the Israelites, thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to cross this half-mile river? You know, the walls of Jericho, they shimmer in the distance, this great walled city that they know that they're going to have to conquer eventually is on the other side of the Jordan. This little group emerges and begins to march across the river. The priests in their white robes carry the Ark of the Covenant on poles on their shoulders, and everyone is watching as the priests get closer and closer, wondering what is going to happen. They march in a straight line. Down the bank they go with the water flowing before them, and as their feet enter the water, the river stops flowing from the north. It's as if the Lord reached down and turned off the spigot of the river. The water stopped flowing because it heaped up at a place called Adam, approximately 17 miles north of the crossing. Meanwhile, the water to the south continued to flow to the Dead Sea. This miracle happened after they obeyed not before. After they decided to take that faith step and say, God, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to see what you're going to do. If the priest had not stepped into that raging torrent, no one would have crossed the river that day. How exactly did this happen? Perhaps the best explanation comes in Joshua 3.11 where Joshua calls God the Lord of all the earth. That's the first time this phrase is used in all of Scripture, giving God his sovereignty over all. God, you are Lord over all. That is how this happened. When the Creator speaks, the Jordan River obediently rolls up in a heap. As simple as that. So the water stood in a heap. And last of all, we see here the nation, entire nation, crossed on dry ground. You have to imagine if there were over 2 million people, it would have taken hours to get everyone across. But the miracle lasted until every single Jew crossed the river. No one was left behind. We come to the end of the story. In Joshua chapter 4, it says, Now the priest, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The miracle lasted as long as it was needed, and not one second longer. If a visitor happened to pass by that spot the next day, they would have seen two million footsteps heading down the bank of the Jordan River 
and they would have ended at the river thinking, where did all these people go? How did all these people get across the river? The visitor would have no idea what had happened the day before, but God had really two specific purposes for this miracle. First, he wanted to exalt Joshua as his appointed leader. Just as Moses led the people across the Red Sea, now Joshua leads their descendants across the Jordan. Just as God had been with Moses, God was showing the people of Israel, I am with Joshua. He is your leader. Follow him. Another thing, another reason, it prepared the Jews for the battle to come. Very soon, the people would embark on seven years' worth of warfare to take the promised land. Seven years, when Joshua explained the miracle to the people, he gave this reason. He said, and Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. If God can roll up the Jordan like a heap, then all of those nations are a piece of cake for him. Do not fear. Do not fear those walls of that great city of Jericho. If God can stop the mighty Jordan, he can do a great work through you. So I ask you this morning, do you need to take a faith step into the river of your life? Until we yield ourselves to God, we are not ready for the miracle we need. Joshua, he had to give up any plans of his own that he had. You know, being a, a leader, I'm sure he probably had some human plans of how they were going to cross. I'm sure he probably thought, we, could, we can build some boats. We can maybe try to build, maybe we'll, we'll wait until the river shrinks a little bit and it's not so far. Maybe we can just forge our way across after the, the rainy, after the snow melting season is all past. We get to the summer. He had to abandon all of his own plans. The priests had to have the courage to step into the rushing water. The people had to walk across the riverbed to get to the promised land. Yielding means giving up our right to give God advice. So many times we live our life thinking God wants our advice on how we're supposed to live. It means when the time comes to move, we step out in faith, leaving the results in his hands. When we dare to follow God, we often find ourselves walking new paths. Walking paths that we had no inkling of an idea that we thought we would ever be walking down. But they're so much better the plans that we had. What God said to the Israelites, he still says to us, you have not passed this way before. God is wanting to do a work in everyone's life here today. And he says the same thing to you. You have not passed this way before. God's command to his people is always forward. Forward. There will be a new service, new songs, new ministry, new lands to conquer, new people to reach, new prayers to pray, new challenges to faith. Taking a step of faith always pushes us out of our comfort zone 
and into a place of danger. And for us Americans, we don't like danger. We're safe people. We like to think about living life in safety. When God calls us to take a face step forward into the unknown, we need not fear because God is already there. He's already there. God never asked us to go anywhere without going before us as we travel with him by faith. Why be afraid of crossing the Jordan when Jesus has crossed it for us already? When Jesus hung upon that cross and died for your sin and my sin, he went into the dark waters of death and came out victorious on the other side. And that's why we do not have to cross the Jordan alone. There are moments when we may feel alone, but there are never moments when we are truly alone. Just as the ark led the people of God into the river and protected them while they crossed over the promised land, Jesus, our Savior, will lead us through the dark moments of our life and bring us out to the other side. So many times when we are in those dark moments, our prayer is, Lord, get me through this, when really our prayer should be, God, do a work in me while I'm in this. So many times we're praying, God, just get me out of this difficult circumstance when our prayer should be, God, accomplish in my life what you want to accomplish through this circumstance. It's a way, it's a heart position. How is your heart responding to the Jordan River? When the time comes, God will not abandon us. You may find yourself in a difficult place right now, and you're not there by accident. I can guarantee you that. The God who brought you to this place, he will not leave you now. You don't need to know what holds tomorrow as long as you know who holds tomorrow. Say it again. You don't need to know what holds tomorrow as long as you know who holds tomorrow. And that is our precious Lord and Savior. So for some of you today, what does that faith step look like? For some of you, and this was the decision some of our kids at camp made, this is taking that first step of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and saying, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to be a follower of him. Some of the kids this week that that have made that decision. They even had conversations with me saying, I'm understanding more now, even though I've been saved and baptized, what it truly means to be a follower. It's not just a one-time decision. It is a way of life. I'm like, yes, you're getting it. That's great. Some of you, that next phase step might mean being more active at Bethel, becoming someone who takes that step out to volunteer, to give, to serve in a ministry. Maybe that faith step for you looks like having a conversation about your faith with that coworker you've worked with for years, but you've never crossed into the Jordan to have that spiritual conversation. And God has been working in your heart and your life because you know they need Jesus. Let's take the faith step and go down to the river And let's see what miracle God will do in your life. Let's pray.